Good morning. Today's daf is daf nun vav. Today's shir is Ilunishmas David Yitzchak ben David Yitzchak Mordechai ben Yosef. Um, it is also Ilunishmas ben Zion ben Zef Avram Halevi, um, Leia Luna bas Asel, and Avram ben Peretz. May they have a complete. May the may the neshamas have an aliyah. It's also for a full shleima of Chaim Aryeh ben Mashalaya and Pesa Bashena Bela. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. Um, and Moshe ben Rivka. Moshe ben Rivka. And may you also have a complete and speedy recovery. Um, so today's daf, we're going to start inside from the bottom of Nun Hayam with Bayes uh, 55b. But just to catch us up in the Gemara, because we really are in the middle of a sugya, is how we ended up here. So the Gemara, well, so the Mishnah started and we brought him a Chloikas. When the Kohen God will remember, he sprinkles the blood of the bull inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim. He comes out and he puts it on a stand. And then he shechs and he takes the blood of the seir the blood of the goat, and sprinkles it inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Then he comes out, and he puts the blood of the Seir down, and he takes the blood of the bull, and sprinkles it towards the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Now, according to the Tanakhama, there were two stands there. He put one, one he put the, the bull blood down, and then, and then the other one, he could put the goat blood down. Rabbi Yehuda said there was only one stand. Now we know it's got to do with some sort of confusion because we worry basically that will come out. But the concern is that if he puts them both down on the stand, he's going to forget which one's which. And he's going to pick up the wrong one. And remember the order, the Seder Havoida, the Havoida, the Temple Service of Yom Kippur has to be done in the right order. So if he sprinkles the wrong blood first, he'd have to go back a few steps and start it again. So that's the Mishnah. Now... Touching on that, we actually brought almost a totally different discussion, but I don't know if you remember from Shkolim, remember there were 13 shofars, 13 collection boxes in the temple, each with different names written on them. And, uh, well, yeah, each different names, one for uh, six for donations, one for old shekels, one for new shekels, etc. I'm not going to go through all 13 boxes now, but... The two under question is, there were two for bird offerings for Kinin. The one said, Kinin, one said Kinin, which a cane is a nest, so that's the pair of birds. And the other one said, Goizle Oila. Now, according to the Tanakama, they one was for obligations, like a woman who gave birth, a Zava or a Zav, etc. Anyone who had to bring birds as an obligation, a Chattas and a Ola. They would, that was the one box, and the other box was for donations. Someone who voluntary off, um, took a neder, a vow, to, to bring a bird offering. So that was, that was the other one. That's how the Tanakhama learned. Again, one for obligations and one for donations. Rabbi Yehuda comes along and says, no, we worried that they'll get mixed up, and therefore both are actually for donations. One's for B'nai Yona and one's for Turim. Remember, there's turtle doves and, uh, and young doves. So those are what Rabbi Huda says. Now the Gemara is trying to work out what's Rabbi Huda's concern. What, why all of a sudden are we concerned about getting mixed up? Now if they do get mixed up, we understand you have a serious problem. Because remember, uh, obli- when someone's obligated to bring a pair of birds, the one's a chattis and the one's a ola. When you donate a pair of birds, both are oilos. 
So if you mix them up and you offer an oila as a chattas, or a chattas as an oila, you, 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 you invalidate the korban because a chattas bird and an oila bird are very different uh, procedures. So the Gemara suggests, so why does Rabbi Yehuda require... So the, so the Gemara's suggestion, which I found fascinating, was that the concern is, Rabbi Yehuda says, you can't rely on writing. It's all very well to put up labels and signs, this box is for the obliga- obligation birds, and this box is for the donation birds. The concern is people will get mixed up. People don't read signs. Um, you can ask uh, someone who tries to organize a crowd or organize things. You put up signs, you put up warnings, you put up... Uh, I don't know why, in, in my mind, it's highlighted by um, communal libraries, like in the shul or something. You have, a, you have signs and you have labels where each book goes, but no books ever end up in their right place. So people don't read signs. So that's the suggestion. And then we would say the same thing, so too with the stands. You might, back to Yom Kippur, you might have the one stand which says the Dhamma Par and the one stand which says Dham HaSoir, you're going to mix up. And the Gemara comes along and says, no, that can't be. Everyone agrees you do rely on writing. I Labels, you can trust people to read labels. Okay? Now we're going to leave, so then why according to Rebbe did you need one stand, one stand instead of two on Yom Kippur? We'll leave that and we'll come back to, um, um, we'll come back to it. But the Gemara is addressing at the moment, but then, why, so we still start, why does Rabbi Yehuda say both boxes, collection boxes for money in the Beis Amikdash were for voluntary bird offerings? Why wasn't one for obligations and one for voluntary offerings like the Tanakamalun? So what do we suggest? We suggest, no, he's concerned the owner will die. He says, we don't ever, we never ever take such a concern. I looked at my notes, as I said, from last time I was speaking to an actuary. He said, the chances of someone putting a, a, I don't know how many people would do it a day. I don't remember exactly how I did the calculation. But he said the chances of someone putting money in the box and dying that day, because remember they used to make sure to offer every korban, every, take all the money and offer the korbanos with it that day. He says it would happen one in something along the lines of one in 365 years. It's like not a realistic, it's not a realistic concern that someone's going to come put money for you, for the Kohanim to offer a bird offering and then die before they get to uh, do that. So that can't be. So he says, no, the concern is that we will know who the owner, we'll know that the owner died. Sometimes it happens. Someone puts money in a collection box and they die before you get to offer the Korban. And we'll know about that. Now, what's the problem? If it's an obligation, so we know, remember, we actually touch us. If the owner dies, you can't offer the chattas. So he has money in a, in, a, in a pouch in this collection box, put in there on behalf of someone who we know has died. Now there's lots of money in that box. Some, the money is from the guy who died and the money from everyone else who had obligations to offer. Now the Gomorrah wants to know, oh, but there's another solution. Take out the value of a bird offering, which it says is four zoos. Take out four zoos, throw it into Yam HaMelech, the salt sea. How does that help? Because then all the money left in the box, we will say, we will attribute the money left in the box to the people who are alive, and the money that was thrown into the sea as um, attributed to. Uh, 
the money in the sea um, will attribute to the person who has died. And the Gemara answers, no, they can't Rebbe So according to the Tanakhama, that would be fine. But the problem is, Rebbe Yehuda lays lay Breira. Rebbe Yehuda doesn't hold for Breira. And this is where Al Sugya steps in. So what is Breira? And then I think we'll understand the question a bit better, or the issue a bit better. Breira is retroactive clarification. I, let's say I have 10 sets of money. And I want to throw one of those sets of money, one of those arbazuz, into the Yam HaMelach. Say, that arbazuz was for the person who's died, and the other nine are for the living people who put money in that collection box. What am I saying? I'm saying, each, when I pick up money to use, it will retroactively clarify whose money that is. Again, I've got a whole mixture of money from multiple, from various different people. I want to say that retroactively, let's clarify which money belonged to which person. And Rabbi Yehuda doesn't hold for Breira. And we'll try, now we're going to ask, so this is where we'll start, fourth last line of Nun Hayamud Beis. It says, Minolon. How do we know this? Where do we know that Rabbi Yehuda doesn't hold for Breira from? So he's going to give us a, a, a suggestion. He says, Maybe it's from the following. Yeah, I'm just sorry, I'm just looking for something. Yeah. It says If someone buys wine from the Kutim, now what does he do? Now what, who are the Kutim? So there are two ways of understanding the Kutim. Remember they were um, King Shalmaneser settled them in Eretz Yisrael, so they were non-Jews, and then they were getting attacked by lions, and the Jews who lived there weren't getting attacked by lions, so they converted. So there's a whole question on whether con- their conversion was valid. The simplest way to learn our sugya is that we're going according to the opinion that their conversion was valid, and therefore they Jews. So now you're buying wine from them. The problem with the Kutim, there, were, there are two problems, later on they were found to be serving Avodah Zorah. So that's why it's a question, were they sincere converts or were they, and then just later on they turned to Avodah Zorah, or were they never valid converts? But let's assume that they were valid converts. Now their one, we can't trust, they only kept the written law, and they didn't hold for the oral law. Therefore they were not afraid of the, of the requirement called Lifnei Iver Loisitei you're not allowed to put a stumbling block before someone. So the Kutim would be more than happy to sell someone else one or produce that Trumas and Masras had not been separated from. So, so that's the concern, is that this kuti, when you buy wine from a kuti, so you bought a, this person bought a barrel of wine from the kuti, he has to assume that Trumas and Masras were not separated from it. Now, for whatever the reason is, it's a little bit tricky, the person was not able to separate. Generally, what do you do? So you've got a barrel of wine, you have to separate Truma. So you take, you pour some of the wine into a bottle for truma and then you pour 10% of the wine into another bottle or another smaller barrel for maser etc you do all of that and then the remaining wine you can drink but for whatever reason it seems someone who learned it was Erev Shabbos so it was too late he didn't have time to do this and you're not allowed to do it on Shabbos separate truma and maseros on Shabbos or some learn that he didn't have any other bottles to pour any other containers to pour the wine in 
but he needs, he wants to drink the wine in the barrel, but he doesn't have any way to take out the truma and maser. So what does he say? So he says, Oimed v'oimer. He stands, or he, he estimates, and he says, Shnei lugin, we're assuming that it's a hundred lugin in this barrel. So shnei lugin, shani otid lahafrish harayim truma. Two lugin, which I will separate in the future, will be truma. Asora maserishon. Ten will be maserishon. Remember, the really truma can be any amount. But Chazal said an average person should give 2%, so that's 2 lugin. Then the next 10 will be Maser Rishon, 10% goes to the Levi. Tosa say, it's, he's not precise because 10% of what's left is 9.8%. But it's close enough to say 10%, or 9.8 lugin. So instead of saying 10 lugin, but 10 lugin for Maser Rishon, Tisha Maser Shani, um, 9 lugin for Maser Shani. Remember, umeichal. Sorry, tisha tisha shani umeichal. Regarding the master shani, he just transfers it onto money. I remember, honey, what do you do with master shani? You take it up to eat in Yerushalayim. If you're not able to take it up to eat in Yerushalayim, you transfer the value onto money, so that he can do immediately. That we don't let him rely on what he will leave in the barrel later. He says, he can drink it immediately. This is the opinion of Rebbe Meir. Let's just go back one step. So according to Rebbe Meir, what's he doing? He has his 100 lug barrel of wine. He wants to drink it. He can't separate Truma and Maser. So he says, basically, the he takes, well, Maser Shane is a different discussion, but basically he says, I'm going to leave 12 lugin of wine at the bottom of the barrel. And what I drink, and I'm going to, what I, and that will be the Truman Maser. Now, what's the difficulty with saying that? Is remember, the Truman Maser are floating around this barrel. So he's relying on Brera, retroactive clarification. Later on, when he's drunk most of the wine in the barrel, and there's just 12 Lugin left in the barrel, He's retroactively, he's saying, these are the 12 looking that were initially, again, he's standing there now, he's saying, these are the 12 looking that yesterday are separated as Truman Master. So that's retroactive clarification, which Rabbi Meir is more than happy with. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Shimon Oisir. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yosi, and Rabbi Shimon says, Oisir, Alma and Breira, we say, hold, they hold, you can't say Breira, you can't say retroactive clarification. Very interesting. Why? What are they saying? Because, no, you can't say that what turns out to be the amount left in the, va- in the barrel is truma. You have to take actual truma and separate it now. So, so the Gomorrah answers, that's not a clear proof that Rabbi Yehuda doesn't hold prayer. He says, we might. No, there's different, as the reason is specifically taught of there. He says, Omru loyle Rabbi Meir, they said to Rabbi Meir, Are you not concerned that the barrel will break? It comes out that retroactively he's drinking tevil. Produce that you have not separated Truma and Masa from is considered, tev- it's called Tevil, and it's actually a severe, it's Misabide Shomayim to eat it. But if, let's say, so what's what they saying to Rebbe Meir? Rebbe Meir says, it's fine, just rely on re- retroactive clarification. What's left in the barrel at the bottom will be what was initially separated as Trumas and Masa. Retroactively, it will determine what was Truma and Masa. And they say, you can't rely on that, it's too risky. 
Why is it too risky? Not because we don't hold for Brera, but because the barrel might break. And then it's going to turn out that there's nothing left in the bottom for Truman Master, and it turns out that there was no Truman Master separated, and the owner drank Tevel. So the Gemara says, and for Omar, Omar Lohem, Rabbi Meir says, look Okay, let's wait for it to break. It's unlikely to break. Be careful with it. And therefore, you don't have to worry about it. Um, So that's, uh, that's this question. We try to prove Ein Breira from... Try, again, remember, what, why, what are we trying to prove? That Rabbi Yehuda holds Ein Breira. You cannot rely on retroactive clarification. And comes along, we brought this Bryce, which seems to say that Rabbi Yehuda does not hold for retroactive clarification. That's why he does not allow you to say the one that will be left in the bottom of the barrel is what was initially determined to be Truma and Masra's. You say you can't rely on that. But then we said that can't be the proof because the source there is Trumos, is, uh, his concern there is that the wine will break. So Ella Midatani Ayo, it must be from the following teaching of Ayo. Now, now we're going back to Eruvin. So just remember with regarding an Eruv Trumin. Remember, you're not allowed to walk 2,000 Amos outside of your city. <coughs> 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 Sorry. Um, you're not allowed to walk 2,000 amos outside of your tchum, outside of your Shabbos residence. But remember, there's a way you can set up an Eruv Tchumim. Just within the 2,000 amos, you set up an Eruv, you set up some food, and you say, that's my Shabbos residence. Therefore, you can walk the almost 2,000 amos to that food, to your Shabbos residence, from where you're starting Shabbos, and then you can walk another almost 2,000 amos to the tchum of that boundary. So, now you can only have one official Shabbos residence. So you can't set up two Eruvs. Now the discussion there is, you know, is, and this is, the, the discussion that, that Ayo is going on, is what happens if you, so you're staying in a town, and there are two shuls outside the town on either side. And there's a Talmud, there's either a rabbi coming to give shir in one of those shuls. Now you don't know which shul he's going to. You'll ask your friend tomorrow morning, but which Eruv do you set up? Do you set the Eruv to the east or the Eruv to the west? Remember, you can only set up one Eruv because you can only have one Shabbos residence. Or a similar, a, a clearer problem is if there are two Tamilei Chachamim. Let's say one you know is going to give a great Halacha Shir and one's going to give a great uh, Agoda Shir, Parsha Shir. And you say, you know, I'll see what I feel like in the morning and that's the Rav I want to go here. But now on Erev Shabbos, when does your Eruv take effect? As Shabbos comes in, at Shkia, at the beginning of Bein HaShemoshos. So you've got to know, so if you, so, what, so the question here is, can you say, Whichever Eruv, whichever side I feel like going tomorrow, that is the one that is a valid Eruv. What are you doing? You're relying on your choice tomorrow to determine which is your Eruv at the beginning of Shabbos. That's relying on Breira, which is a problem. 
So let's see that inside. It says, Elami, the Tani Ayod must be from what Ayod teaches. The Tani Ayod, Ayod taught in a Bryce Rebbe, Yehuda, Aymer, Ein Odom, Masnau, Shnei Dvarim, Ke'echod. A person cannot make a condition based on two Tamidei Chachomim. He can't say which sage I feel like listening tomorrow on Shabbos day is the one that, again, one sage is going to go to the base medrash in the east, one sage is going to go to the base medrash in the west, and whichever one I want to hear, that's the one where my, that's the one which my Eruv is valid, the one to the east or the one to the west. Says, but you can't do that. Elo im le Mizrach, Eruva le Mizrach. The Maruv Eruv Lamazras. If there is only one Chochom coming to the east, then his Eruv will be to the east. And if there is only one Chochom coming to the Maruv, then his Eruv will be to the west. But he can't say to either side. Says Bo, and they analyze this. He says My Shnala Kanula Kan the law the Ain Breira the Mizrach Maruv Nami Ain Breira. Why, if there's a Chochom going to other side, he's not allowed to do it. I, if there's two Chachomim, one going to each side, he's not allowed to do it because of Breira. I can't say which side I feel like going to tomorrow, that's which side my Eruv is on. Because that's relying on Breira. That's saying what, let's say Shabbos morning, he's saying the Eruv that I set up to the east is now determined to be the valid Eruv. That he can't do. Well, so too with one Chachom. Let's say you have one Chachom and you don't know whether he's going to go to the east or the west. It's the same thing. When you say Shabbos morning, when I hear which side he went to, isn't that the exact same thing as relying on Breira? So the Gemara answers, That's where the Chochom has already arrived. I, you, if you're right, if the Chochom is going to choose which side to go to the east or the west, and you say whichever Eruv, he, whichever side he chooses to go, that will be my valid Eruv. Well, then that is relying on Breira. Because that's saying, you're setting up two Eruvs, and you're saying, based on a future event, will determine which one is the valid Eruv. That's retroactive clarification, that's Breira. That would not work. He says, what's happened here, is you know that the, you know the Chochom was coming to town. You're not sure whether he went to the shul, to the base medrash on the east of the town or the west of the town. But he went to one of them. You just don't know which one. So all you're going to do is tomorrow morning in shul, you're going to ask your friend who knows, or you're going to hear the announcement in shul, and they're going to tell you which side the sage went to. Why is that not Breira? Because it's already happened. And at the time you're setting up your Eruvs, one is already the valid Eruv. You're just going to clarify which one it is. Okay, not clarify as in retroactively determine which one is the valid Eruv. At the time, since the Chochom is already in the East, or since the Chochom is already in the West, when you set up your Eruv, that, it's on condition, and that is the one that is valid. So where are we holding at the moment? So now we've got a good proof that Rabbi Yehuda does not hold for Breira. I again, remember, we started off this question, why does Rabbi Yehuda not have one shofar in the base, one collection box in the base medrash for obligation birds and one for um, donation birds. And we said because he's worried that we were said, we worry that you'll know the owner died and you won't be able to take the money out of the obligation box because each money already has an owner and you don't know which money belongs to which owner. 
all coins look the same. Oh, why don't you say Brera? Whichever money you throw into the sea retroactively, that will determine that that's the money that belonged to the deceased. Rabbi Yehuda doesn't hold for Brera. And we've just shown that Rabbi Yehuda doesn't hold for Brera. Just to discuss this a little bit further, to bring out a few points. So, what's the, Brera is a difficult concept. It's very difficult when we apply it and when we don't. But just a few main points. So one is, we've made an interesting distinction here in this last case. we made a distinction between a tana, what's called a tanai, a condition, and Brera retroactively clarifying. Again, we said it's fine. If you know that the Chochom is definitely in the east or the west, you can make a condition and say, whichever side the Chochom is, that is my Erev. That's fine. That's a condition. But you can't say, whichever side the Chochom will go to, that will be my Erev. Why can't you do that? Because that's waiting for something to happen. That's waiting for um, retroactive clarification. But it's very, very subtle, the distinction. The cases that I've gave. It could be, again, um, Shabbos morning, the Chochom's going to walk to the east or the west. It's obviously both are in his trum, and he's going to walk to either of them. And why can't you say, so I'm setting up my Eruv on condition that the one that he walks to is where the Eruv is. There's no, you can't do that. Because only... That only kicks in. Um, you only know which one is the Eruv. Or the one only becomes the Eruv retroactively on Shabbos, which is too late. So what's the difference between a Tanai? So Rashi seems to learn the difference between a Tanai and Brera is if it's up to you. A Tanai is up to you. It's your con a condition, do you want to fulfill it or not? Whereas Brera could be dependent on someone else. Like here, it's dependent on the mind of the Chochom, or it's dependent on what the Chochom will choose. Now look, again, it's hard to see how that fits in exactly with that. So yeah, but that's Rashi. Um, the Ramban gives a slightly easier one. He says, if it's a condition on one item, on one person, on one thing, that's fine. But if it's a condition on two things, then it won't work. So you can make a condition that the side that the Chochom is on, that's on one thing, the side that the Chochom is on, that's the side that my Eruv is. But if your condition is on whichever side the Chochom goes to, or there are two Chachomim, and the condition is which side, which drosha I feel like hearing tomorrow, that's Breira again, because it's on two different things. Another example, this comes up in Gittin as well. So there, if a person would say, if my wife comes out of the door, then this is her divorce document, that's a condition. But if he says, which of my two wives come out the door first, this is a divorce document, that would be Brera because it's relying on two different things. So that's the Ramban's way of learning.
Yeah, um, just one interesting question. Again, there's a lot to discuss on Breira, and as you can hear, it's subtle and quite, uh, um, quite tricky. But one other interesting question. When we say, like Rabbi Yehuda says, Ein Breira, so here you, he tried to set up an Eruf. He said, whichever drosher I feel like listening to tomorrow, the east or the west one, that's the Eruf that is valid. And now that's clearly Breira, because he's waiting for tomorrow to determine which Eruv K on Erev Shabbos is the valid Eruv. So that's Breira. Now do we say Ein Breira, so now it's a sophic which one is the Eruv? Or do we say Ein Breira, it says if nothing happened? It's actually a Machlokas Rishonim, but that's just the interesting way. Does he have one of two Eruvs? We just don't know which one is the valid Eruv because he tried to use Breira which doesn't work. Or do we say... No, nothing happened. He tried to make a braider condition and nothing happened. The same thing with the wine, with the, with the barrel and the wine. Do we say, yeah, the truma and the, and the master did get separated through braira? It's just a sophic if that clarif- if that really clarifies it, and therefore you've got Truman Master floating around this barrel which has Chulin Truman Master all mixed together, you now got a big problem. Or do we say since you try to rely on Brera, nothing at all happened? Okay, that's one inter- that's just the interesting question that comes up in Brera. Let's go on to now let's go on to how we tie it into why this whole discussion came up in Maseches Yuma. So remember we the whole reason this came up again, it's now, now, now that we've learned the discussion, they're actually totally not, they're not connected at all. We thought they were connected, but they're not connected. Um, the question of why Reb Yehuda requires two boxes for voluntary donation bird offerings and why he requires, I, you can't have one for an obligation and one for a voluntary, and also why he requires two stand, uh, one stand. But now we're going back to that one stand. Remember, in our Mishnah, the Tanakhama said there's a stand for the bull blood and a stand for the seir, the goat blood. And now, and Rabbi Yehuda came along and said there's only one stand. So now the Gemara says, Vahashda Omart. Now, Damrina, the Rabbi Yehuda, Now that you've said according to Rabbi Yehuda, Ein So that can't be. But he does agree you can rely on signs. If you would write a notice, this this stand is for the Dhamma Par and this stand is for the Dhamma Seir, you could rely on that. On Yom Kippur, you should also, why can't he have two stands and write one for the bull and one for the? Um, one for the bull and one for the goat. Again, remember the whole concern again is he comes out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim with the goat blood. He wants to put the goat blood down and take the bull blood. Now, if he has two stands, that's very easy. He puts the goat blood on the second stand and he picks up the bull blood from the initial stand. But if he has only one stand, now he's got to start using two hands. He's got to pick up the bull hand, the bull blood, Put the on that in stand. Why does Rabbi Yehuda say you need two stands? So he says, Mishum Khulsha the Kain Godal Lavadaite. So he says, No, because the Kain Godal could be weak, he's not paying attention. I you're right. Generally we would rely on a label. But on Yom Kippur, the Kain Godal is not really his weak. 
he's distracted, and therefore he might get mixed up, even though it's written which blood goes on which stand. And now the Gemara is going to reinforce that we extra concerned on Yom Kippur that the Kohen Godel will get mixed up. He says, If you don't say this, Once a lot of blood and once a little bit of blood. You can imagine, if you shat the bull and catch the blood that spurts out, there's going to be a lot more than the blood when you shechted the goat. Oh, maybe you'll say, but maybe he only collected a little bit of bull blood. So that's why it's the same amount of bull blood and goat blood. Um, Rabbi Yudah says, when you shecht and catch the blood, you have to catch all the blood of the bull. Shenemar says, as the, the Pesach says very clearly, all the blood must be spilt onto the bottom of the Mizbech. Oh, maybe some spilt. Maybe some of the bull blood spilt. So that's so again. You wanted to tell me that the coin goddle should not get mixed up between the bull and the goat blood because there's much more bull blood than goat blood. Maybe some of the bull blood spilt. So they're equal. So that's not a valid assumption. He says, The bull blood is a much brighter red and the goat blood is a much paler red. So therefore, he shouldn't, even if there's a, the exact same amount of blood in each bowl, you can look at the blood and see which one's which. So why, why are we concerned that the coin goddle will get them mixed up? It says, That must be because the coin goddle's weak. He's been working hard. He's got a hectic day. He's fasting. And therefore, he does, he's not aware. He's not paying attention carefully. says, Hachanami, well then, so too. If he had two stands, even if you put the labels on them, Dama Par and Dama Bul, since the Kohen Godel is weak and tired, he's not paying attention. So that's why, according to Rabbi Yehuda, you need one stand. So I just want to make one note quickly. So we could actually, so, so it comes out as follows. The Tanakama holds, there's two stands. And what will the coin God will do? And this is probably the advantage of the Tanakama. Everything will be done with the right hand. We know the whole Afoida has to be done with the right hand. There's certain times when it's impossible, and then we change it. But otherwise, the whole Afoida has to be done with the right hand. So this is perfect according to the Tanakama. He, he's carrying the bull blood in his right hand, the goat blood in his right hand. He comes out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. He puts it down on the second stand, and he picks up the bull blood. From the first stand, all in his right hand. So the whole avoider is being done with his right hand. And then I guess he's going to put it in his left hand just before he dips his right hand in to sprinkle it, kamatzleif, remember, like a whip. Now, back to the previous, um, and then the coin, whereas according to Rabbi Yehuda, he's more concerned that the coin goddle is going to get mixed up with the blood. As we said, it's not such a real concern, because firstly, you can label the stands, bull blood and goat blood. And not only that, the bloods look very different. The bull blood is a much brighter red. And not only that, there's generally much more bull blood. The bowl with the bull blood in is going to be fuller, because the bull has much more blood. But, we worried that the coin goddle will get mixed up. So we would rather, so what does the coin goddle do? He comes... Out of the Kodesh Agroshim carrying the red, the, the bull blood, the, the goat blood. He picks up the bull blood in his left hand, puts down the goat blood, 
and then transfers the bull blood to his right hand. But he had to hold it in his left hand, which is a little bit problematic, but Rabbi Yudah says that's preferable. Okay, now we're just going to bring, um, we know, he says, Ahu, Tanoch is coming to Rava. There was a Shliach Tzibur who went before Rava, and on Yom Kippur, and Rashi points out, you know, when we do Musaf on Yom Kippur, we go through the Seder Avoida, we say what the Kohen Godel would do on Yom Kippur. That's half the long part of the Musaf on Yom Kippur, is that it's saying every single, it goes through the stages, what we're learning in this Gemara, of what the Kohen Godel would do. So the Shliach Tzibur was saying that, I'll come back to two points on that. He says, He came and he put down the blood on the second. So this is the text of the davening that the Shliach Tzibu was saying. It says he placed it on the second stand in the Heichal and then he picked up the bull blood and then it says, and then he placed down the Damasir. So Omer the robber said to the Shliat Sibri, he says, You said, on the one hand, you said like the Rabbonin, and on the second hand, you said like Rabbi Yehuda. You said like the Rabbonin because you said there's a second stand. And then you said like Rabbi Yehuda because you said he picks up the blood and then only puts down the goat blood, which is like Rabbi Yehuda because according to Rabbonin, you put the blood on the second stand and then pick up. So which one are you going like? Which opinion? It says, Amo, what should you say? He puts down the goat blood, the notel damapar, and picks up the damapar. And that would be like the Rabbonin who hold that there's this double... Uh, sorry, like the Rabbonin who hold that there's this two... Uh, that there's two stands. I'm just interesting. Why do we always say? Um, I mean, it's, it will become a lot clearer in other mesechtas when we discuss davening more. But we always refer to the shliat zibur as is going down to daven. So it seems that back in the day they used to where the shliat. We often have a step or something that the shliat zibur stands on. But in certain shuls they used to actually dig it deeper, and that's because of the pasuk which says mimamakim Hashem. From the depths I call out to Hashem. So they used to make the shliat zibur the place where he would stand a little bit deeper, like he had stepped down to where he would daven from the shliat zibur, and um, and he would. And uh, that's why he would go down to Daven. That seems to be the language there. Also, interestingly, is... Uh, yeah, that one of the reasons we say is... Um, we have a concept, and we've mentioned this a few times, but since we can't offer the Korbonos, our words of saying the Korbonos is in place of offering the Korbonos. So the Shriyat Sibur goes through the Avoider of Yom Kippur, to, in a way, it says, if we're doing the Avoida, if we speak it out, if we say it. And then, once we're mentioning that, we can come on and say that's one of the most special things about Torah. We know Torah, we live in a physical world. But Torah is, in some aspects, it's one with Hashem, it's Hashem's mind, and it's really from a spiritual world. It's really, it, it does get limited in a way, there's only so much we can comprehend, and there's only so much we can remember because we're, we're physical. But the Torah is infinite. The Torah is spiritual. And to a greater degree than mitzvahs. Mitzvahs you write are very, very, are also have a strong spiritual connection, but they're limited to being carried out in this world, which Torah is not limited to this world. What do I mean? What am I saying? The Kohen Godel could only do the Yom Kippur Avoidah on Yom Kippur. If he does the Yom Kippur Avoid on Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Chodesh Tammuz coming up, and any special occasion, he does the Yom Kippur Avoid, it doesn't count as anything. So to now, if you would take a Lulav and Esrog, 
wouldn't be the mitzvah of lulav and esrog. It has to be done in the right time. Certain mitzvahs have to be done in the right place. They have to be done with the right actions. Whereas Torah learning is not limited to that. Torah learning, wherever you are, whenever you are, you can learn about the mitzvah, you can learn something in Torah, and it's to a degree as if you're doing it. In some ways, it might even be greater than doing it. I don't want to say that because then you're going to mark, leave mitzvahs and go learn Torah. We don't, we don't ever say leave mitzvahs to learn Torah. But there's an aspect of Torah learning. We can, in the middle of the, well now it's been a few months, but uh, Sivan and going into Tammuz. And before that, we can be learning about the Yom Kippur Avodah. And in a way, there's an aspect of doing the Yom Kippur Avodah. It's not, Torah is not time-bound. And we don't have a base on Mikdash. And we can learn about the avoider of the base of Mikdash wherever we are, whenever we are. So that's a huge, that's a very special mala and shows the infinite and the spiritual greatness of Torah. Um, so that's a, yeah, that's our point. Let's just do a few more lines. Says, he sprinkles the blood. So what the Kohen Gadol after he sprinkles the blood of the bull in the Kodesh Hakodeshim, and then he shafts and he sprinkles the blood of the goat in the Kodesh Hakodeshim. He comes out and he takes the blood of the bull and he sprinkles it towards the paroiches on the outside. And the, the Mishnah carried on. He does one up and seven down, just as he did in the Kodesh Hakodeshim. Says How do we know? It says so shall he do in the tent of meeting in the Heichal. Remember, there's the Kodesh HaKadoshim in the Heichai. It says, Ma Talmud Lama, what's the Torah telling us? It's telling us, Kashem Shemaza Lifnai Velifnim, Kach Maza Beheichal. Just as you sprinkle Lifnai Velifnim in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, by where the Aaron Kodesh would be, so to you do the same type of sprinkling in the Heichal. It says, Ma Lifnai Velifnim, Achas Lamala Meshevel Amata Midamapor, Kach Maza Beheichal. Just as Lifnai Velifnim in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, you sprinkled one up and seven down with the Dam Hapar, so too you do the same thing in the Heichal. And Kashem Shalifnai Velifnim, Achas Lamala Veshevel Amata Midama Seir, just as you did one up and seven down with the Dam Seir, Kach Maza Beheichal, so too you do it in the Heichal. And then the Pasuk says, the apostle continues, it says, The one who dwells with you even when you tome. Hashem stays with the Jew even when they tome. Even when the Jews are tome, the Shechina is with them. Certain men said to Rebbe Chanina, Now that you're in exile, you definitely tome. And Rashi explains what's he telling? And clearly the Shechina does not rest amongst you Jews now that you're in exile. And this is a very scary thought. And this was one of the scary thoughts is that now that we're in exile, now that we're in Goddess, the Shechina is not with us. So he says, Dersiv as it's written, Okay, that's in regards to the Jews in Goddess. It says, if their blood is on their hem. says, so Omar lay. He said to him, Look at what the Post says. Even when they are Tomei, the Shechina rests amongst them. I, the Shechina never leaves B'nai Israel. There might be certain aspects of where we see the Shechina clearly, or that's more apparent to us, but the Shechina is always with the Jews, even when the Jews are in Golos, even when we Tomei are full of Averis, etc. The Shechina is always with us. And that's a very uh, positive thing to think about, and we'll leave sure with that.